Monday, November 6th, 2017. I'm Jeremiah Zimmerman, and this is episode 137 of the 5049 podcast. How you guys doing? You all right? It's episode 137, and I'm delighted to have on today's show guitar virtuoso. Um, I mean, do you hear that back there? Absolute guitar virtuoso, Gian Riley. Let's have a listen. Yeah, man. Gian Riley's on the show today, and it's a good one. Before we get into it, I want to talk about a couple of things. Uh, last week, I mentioned at the start of the show that the Stone has started a, a fundraiser to help cover the last costs associated with the current space on Avenue C before we move over to, to the new school. Um, and it's the, the, the response has been unbelievable. Thank you to everyone who has already contributed. Thank you for your generosity. Uh, the drive is still going. Every little bit helps. If you have time, uh, I put a link to it at the front of the 5049 website. Um, check it out. And if you can help out, please do. Uh, I promise you it, it's, it's very meaningful. The other thing I want to tell you about, uh, and I'm going to be talking about this a lot in the coming weeks. December 5th at Roulette in Brooklyn, I am uh, presenting a piece. Uh, I've talked about it maybe a little bit on the show. This is going to be the third iteration of a piece that I wrote for four clarinets and two percussionists. It's called Sistema Mundi Totius. Uh, we did it at the Stone back in April. We did it at Firehouse 12 in Connecticut um, about a month ago. Uh, but this version that we're doing at Roulette is really like the first real presentation of the piece, meaning you know it's, it's really become kind of finalized and the opportunity to present it at Roulette uh, which, you know, for those of you who haven't been there before, it is, you know, an ideal concert situation. Beautiful sound, beautiful acoustics, uh, just the ideal atmosphere for presenting music. December 5th. Um, if you're around, I want to see you there. Uh, this is a really important show to me, and I really want to see some people at this show. So December 5th, Roulette, my piece, Sistema Mundi Totius. Uh, go to the Roulette website. You can read about the piece um, and find out about getting tickets. Okay, today on the show, Gian Riley. Uh, do some? Do you guys know who Gian is? I, I imagine a lot of you do. Uh, for those of you that don't, you are about to hear a conversation with an incredibly sweet, um, creative, and and just all around good dude. Uh, and that, that that's to say nothing of his of his musicianship, which is at such an incredibly high level. Uh, Gian is from Northern California originally. He's been living here in New York for, I guess, about five years or so. Uh, lately, he's been doing a lot of stuff with, with John Zorn, uh, performing his Bagatelles music, as well as some music that John's written for Gian and uh, guitarist Julian Lage, another absolute master of the instrument. Gian has previously and continues to do a lot of work with his father, composer Terry Riley, um, and, and he's just a very open-minded, open-hearted musician, uh, and, and today's a good one. If you want to find out more about Gian, go to gianreilly.com. That's G-Y-A-N-R-I-L-E-Y.com. Uh, Gian's done a lot of stuff with Secret Chiefs 3. Uh, he, he's, he's a great dude, wonderful musician, and I'm really delighted that we finally found the time to do this. Go to gianreilly.com. 
Go to the 5049 website, 5049records.com. Uh, check out some past episodes. Check out the link to the Stone Pledge Drive and, uh, and, and get all your stuff that you need done there. That's it. I hope you guys are all doing well. Here's my conversation with Gian Riley. crazy studio in the house right my dad uh yeah. no no he just i mean he just has like you know a room with a piano and a bunch of instruments and that's it yeah <laughs> so what's the film score that you guys did and what was that process you're like well it's uh it's called hochelaga terrorism i'm probably pronouncing that wrong because my french is terrible but uh. um <laughs> land of souls is the the second part of that uh and it's about <clears throat> well I, I don't want to say too much about it. Yeah, everyone yeah. should go see it. But uh, it just premiered in Toronto. Uh, it's a new film by director Francois Girard, writer director Francois right. Girard, um, and and it's a it's it's a really interesting film, um, kind of over hundreds and hundreds of years uh-huh. um, about the first encounters of the natives with the French. Ooh. And then later, the, you know, wars and the French and English and all these yeah. sort of relationships that happen over centuries. And and you yeah. and your dad did all the music. Yeah. That's fucking crazy. Did he, we got, but you said you guys weren't in the studio at the same time? Um, we were. So it unfolded over years, but um, we actually, yeah, we were in the studio for three days together, four days together in San, uh, Berkeley, California. Right. Working with Kronos for Ted and uh, recording them, and and then Tracy Silverman, my dad and I, we did a bunch of other things. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Wait, yeah. did you grow? Wait, you you didn't grow up in San Francisco? No, no, in California, like uh, where? In the Sierra foothills, in a small town called Nevada City, which is kind of between Sacramento and Reno. Oh. Oh, I thought you were from like San Francisco. I thought you were from the Bay. Yeah, well, I lived there for fifteen years or so. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, kind of Bay Area guy, but right. But I feel like I saw like a video of like your dad in his like home studio, and it reminded me of, uh, like I grew I grew up on an ashram, upstate. Oh, yeah. Wow. And just sort of like the scenery he had around him felt very familiar to me. Oh yeah. <laughs> Well, that makes sense. That makes sense. I mean, I have to imagine that you grew up listening to pretty cool music. Yeah, well, probably similar music that you listen to, perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of sitar music, a lot of tabla music. Yeah. Um, and I got, I actually got to experience that stuff live as a child quite great. a bit. Yeah. Yeah. That's great because it sinks in early and then it kind of naturally, you know, infiltrates your. I hope so. I think so. Definitely, yeah. like I, I like long pieces of music <laughs> yeah. that aren't yeah. in a hurry to go anywhere. <laughs> long pieces, long tones. Yeah. <laughs> but did you? Uh, was guitar your first instrument? Violin was my first instrument. And that was sure. whose idea? That was my idea because my brother was playing violin, and uh-huh. and I, you know, wanted to do it too. And and after about five years, I got to the point where I could ki- kind of make it sound that wasn't excruciating to listen to and then wanted to quit (laughs) so well because i discovered guitar and you know i i heard Jimi hendrix and you know i just as a young yeah yeah i wanted to play guitar but i didn't have a guitar and my parents were like yeah you should probably keep playing the violin you know stick with it for a while and then i want a guitar in a raffle and in a raffle yeah electric guitar 
uh, uh no like a crappy old beater you know uh, nylon string guitar that's probably worth like forty dollars but <laughs> but uh but that was your first instrument. that was my first instrument your first yeah. act yeah my first act and you took to it immediately took to it immediately yeah i played it con i was probably like eight hours a day when i first it was summertime and how old were you just 11 on nylon string guitar yeah and how can I say this? Like, I, I feel like my attraction to electric guitars and electric basses, as my, cause my first instrument was electric bass, was very much the loud, angry sound yeah. that they're capable of. Yeah. That So that wasn't your initial attraction. Well, no, I wanted to do that. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. I just, th- that was the instrument I had. I, I was, yeah. in fact, I was, yeah, that my, you know, biggest musical interests were, were like, you know, kind of heavy punk and, um, punk bands at that point and so i was i was trying to learn all that music with cassettes right on a beater nylon string oh, guitar shit. so it's you know rewind play rewind play rewind yeah, play, yeah, trying, yeah. To, trying to uh, learn all the parts the guitar parts and everything uh but it's funny to think about trying to recreate those sounds having an acoustic instrument because yeah not, that's virtually never the case that they're playing acoustic right in the with in in those bands the guitar is like the amp is actually more important than the guitar I yeah think. yeah what bands were you listening to? Oh, um, a lot of Dead Kennedys and Misfits and uh-huh. Dead Milkman, Minor Threat, uh, later things like Suicidal Tendencies. Uh huh. You know, like more more in the metal along metal. You were a Dead Milkman but, fan. Oh yeah, dude. One thing that always struck me about Dead Milkman because I was really into that band and I got into them like all those bands you just said. Yeah. Like I was very much into all those bands. I still am. Joe Jack Talcum's guitar tone was like defiantly clean yeah always yeah so that's the one speaking of playing acoustic guitar and trying to learn these all these songs yeah i learned more of those songs than any other song because actually i could actually emulate yeah i could actually (laughs) hear the notes i could tell what pitches that he was playing and and uh and you know had this more kind of folk quality like harmony and everything Mm -hmm. so i could i could actually more closely recreate what he was playing you know am i crazy for thinking he's a good guitar player no, he's a great guitar player. He's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's funny, man. I just like rechecked, I just I re-listened to Big Lizard in my backyard recently. And the guitar is not as clean as I remember it. Like there is some kind of overdrive a little, happening. Yeah, a little dirt. A little dirt. Yeah. But he never, I, I can't think of a single Dead Milkman song where he played like overly distorted guitar. Yeah. I, I don't think I can either. Yeah. Huh. I think that's kind of what, you know, contributed to their, their unique sound i guess too, yeah you know and it's it really suits all the it suits the whole like silliness of the right the, the you know the lyrics and everything did you ever see them live no i never did they're pretty great i bet they're pretty great let me know if they come to town <laughs> i think they're back i think they're back but you know it's funny they were i don't know i, I remember the first time i heard that band i thought they were like really scary because mm-hmm. that uh what was that first song tiny town and there's that part of the oh. song where he says, we hate blacks and we hate Jews. And I was like, wait, what? And I was like terrified of the music. And then like my older sister pointed out that, no, they're, they're joking. They don't really mean that. <laughs> I don't even remember that song. But... Wait, so is your your brother's older than you? Yeah, he's four years older. So was he a portal to music? To Yeah, because, you know, he was old enough that he he had, you know, he was in high school. He had friends with you know, all this kind of eclectic musical taste. And he was playing in a punk band. And uh-huh. So... And his, I was hearing his his band practice, and like that's 
you know, that's kind of when I started thinking, oh man, I want one of those guitars, one of the, you know, yeah. one that play can play really loud and all these dirty sounds. And I, you know, I wanted to like, you know, I was like, like adolescent at that point. I want, I wanted to get my. <laughs> get all that aggressive energy out too yeah, it's yeah, hard yeah. to do on this little nylon so i was right. just kind of banging on it you know as yeah, best yeah. i could but so when did you get an electric guitar uh, a few years later i finally got an electric and um but oddly enough i i kind of like i didn't play it very much i mean i played it a little but i i was kind of at that point i started getting better at classical guitar and yeah. I, I was getting really into the that music which i didn't want to play at first it's funny i was it was just classical that, guitar yeah right. I, I, I didn't really have any interest in it and then i was um, and then I actually, you know, I, I heard some stuff that was pretty interesting and I was, and what was it? Well, you know, I, I, um, I mean, the first things that I heard that I liked were, were, you know, Spanish repertoire, sure. things, you know, and, and Latin American stuff like Malaganya and, you know, little songs that I could actually play that weren't that hard, that had a, a big payback, you know, uh -huh. like, gosh, you feel so, you know, it feels so good. And it's like, you know, five note tunes that aren't that complicated, but right. sound good to play. And, and then, you know, I discovered people like Astor Piazzolla, you know, sure. had, had, there are all these guitar arrangements of his music and Leo Brower and, yeah. you know, um, I mean, a lot of the Spanish composers uh, have written great pieces for classical guitar and Targa and Albanese and all these, you know. And this is all in high school you were taking this stuff in? Yeah. Yeah, this was, this was like early, mid-high school. I started just getting really into the classical guitar thing and then... I have to assume your parents were supportive of musical endeavors? They, yeah, they were. They were like, they wanted me to play violin and then when I, you know, it was pretty obvious that I didn't want to do that anymore. They and stuck. They 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 stuck they, with that island idea about the violin. They did. They did for a little while, and then and then it was. I just wasn't touching the violin. Right. I was just playing guitar all day, and then and then they heard. Oh wow, he can actually like play this instrument, yeah. and he wants to do it. So, yeah. is your mom a musician also? No, she was a school teacher, and um, she later, you know, when my dad's career took off, she kind of was helping him a lot, with managing his yeah his affairs and everything. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Did you, I don't, man, I, I always like, I was talking to Ty Braxton recently mm -hmm. and okay, okay, I'll say this. I got really into music as a kid because it was like the thing that I could have to myself. You know, no one in my family plays music and playing an instrument was sort of like a portal into a world where I could be in charge. Yeah. So there was like a lot of rebellion in it, and like I can't imagine what it would be like to have the same interest as a parent. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, yeah. I just, it just seems like I mean, did you? <laughs> like, do you did you go to your father with musical problems as a kid, or no, did you like no, I don't no. even care? No, I I mean I was a you know I was like an adolescent, so I I just like locked myself in my bedroom and yeah, d you know, tried to just be by myself it was it was like something that i had right. for me there was like my own my own thing my own activity and i was pretty selfish about it yeah. and and i i just didn't i didn't feel like I, I mean i had my cassettes and i had like the scores that i could get my hands on and that was enough to just kind of yeah. eat, eat through as much of that as i could but so there wasn't any um music as a family activity not really no no not, I mean, not until much later on. There was, yeah, there was never, there was never any of that. I mean, you know, sometimes the parents have uh, friends over for dinner, and 
you know, drink wine and sing Beatles songs around the <laughs> piano, but like, that's not probably exactly what you're. <laughs> I mean, kind of. You know, that's that's a social activity, and yeah. I feel like families have, like, that used to be a really common thing for families to get around, to gather around the piano, yeah, and make music for the joy of making music together, yeah. Yeah, like, I don't know that people do that as much anymore. Yeah, I don't know that they do either. And I think, like, well, part of it is, don't you think that that happens more with families that don't, you know, make their income from music? Like, it's they work at a job all day, and then the music is the release, and right. then they want to go home and sit around the piano and drink wine and sing songs. Right. Whereas if you're at that piano, your butt's been on that piano Over bench all day already. <laughs> you probably don't want to sit back on it. No, you don't. <laughs> You want to listen to NPR yeah. and chop cucumbers. Yeah. Right. That's what I do every night, actually. Listen to NPR and chop cucumbers. Yeah, yeah. I got a huge <laughs> stack of cucumbers yeah, yeah. and build it up. A whole room just for cucumbers. <laughs> no, but they... But even those families that aren't music musicians, like... that, The piano, like... I think pianos of all uh, varying levels of, of quality, like, aren't in people's homes anymore like they used to be. You're right. And if they are, they're they're like a relic, you know. They're out of tune. Nobody's. They've got an inch of dust, you know. Yeah, yeah there's something. It's like a, something to look at, you know. Conversation yeah. piece or something. But and so you, this was a small town you grew up in. Yeah, it wasn't even really a town. It was. I grew up on a you know a, a like a road out in the middle of nowhere. Right. Like it was about eight miles from the the town which also wasn't really a town, but <laughs> it had a school and a post office uh-huh. and a gas station, so it was considered. Right, town, and you went to public school. Yeah, how was that? Uh, it was small. There were hundred students for eight, no, nine grades, kindergarten through eighth grade. So really? it was a very tiny school. Was it all sort of like like people who had retreated from big cities? <laughs> people like who were hiding from the law, and you know, is that what it was? <laughs> no, no, <laughs> like there pot some growers. The, there's and... a, yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of pot being grown up there still, but yeah, um, yeah, that's a big. It's a cash crop. So, uh, yeah, but it was, you know, yeah, it's a really different life than living in New York, for example. Right. But, <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of magic in those mountains. <laughs> there is magic. There's a lot there of magic in them, <laughs> in them hills. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It seems like it'd be a nice place to grow up. My wife's from it California. Is. It is. I mean, you know, when you become like a little, like in adolescent years, it's harder because it's removed. There, there, there right. are no like recreational activities for teenagers or anything like that you know cow tipping i mean yeah unless you right <laughs> count like you know your friend like stealing their parents car and did you a couple six packs out of the fridge and you know just, did you get into any of that good like country subversive activity you know just 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 enough to keep me sane but yeah not enough to put me in jail <laughs> Right. This is all off the record, of course. Uh, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I, I did. Anyway, I don't want to talk about cow dipping. Yeah. <laughs> I've never kipped kipped a cow. Right. I, I've never personally tipped a cow, but I've been around it. Yeah. <laughs> it's fucking weird. It's a really I, weird activity. <laughs> yeah. I can imagine. So you left that town and you went to San Francisco. Yeah, I went to to music school in San Francisco. That was my. What Mills? Take it out. No, con- uh, conservatory, San Francisco. Oh shit! Yeah. yeah, yeah. Who did you study with? Studied with David Tannenbaum for four years, and then Dushan Bogdanovich for okay. my grad studies there. So yeah, I, 
I did six years there. And at that time, San Francisco was still San Francisco? Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> not, not, not so much as it is now? <laughs> yeah, it's pretty strange. It's really strange now. I was just out there, and it's, man, that just, you know, the income gap has widened so drastically. It's, right. I mean, it's just seems like what you see on the surface anyway is just people with either lots of money or no money and tons of drug addiction and kind of right. yeah there's there's more homelessness than i've ever seen in that town it's it's it, startling so what i'm always trying to figure out or something i'm curious about it, are there a lot of homeless people there because the city's in such fucked up shape or is that a good place to be homeless i think it's that it's in fucked up shape i, yeah. I don't think it's yeah it's it's not. I think at one point maybe it was a. a if there's such things, a good place I to mean, be homeless. Right. I think. I think it. It was better, like the services. But I think. I think that the social services are just bombarded. I think there's. There's. It's just not there anymore. There. Yeah. There's not enough uh, support for mm-hmm. it. Not enough money. Not enough help. And. Um, and there's you know there's a lot of there's just a ton of drug addiction. Like I. Yeah. I like in if you walk down the street for five minutes you know i was like walking from the restaurant to the hotel and i saw like five crack pipes yeah you know in five minutes like just people walking around holding them just ready for the next hit you know it's it's uh it's right there it's all right out in the open um when you were there you lived in san francisco proper i did yeah i moved around a lot i was i think i lived in like seven different apartments and sounds about right six years or yeah that sounds about so. right <laughs> did you did you feel like you were able to sort of be absorbed into san francisco like right away did, was it a welcoming place to move to <clears throat> oh yeah i was so into it i mean yeah. it was it was really a a, a big moment in my life because i you know i grew up in the sticks and there was suddenly there was i just had access to so many things mm-hmm. that i never knew even existed and including this this really amazing musical education. So I, I, I was kind of having my mind blown on several different levels sure. every day as a you know, 17, 18-year-old kid, just like, you know, during school, and then I'd, you know, wander around the city and just, you know, the, there's the park is incredible. And, then yeah. I, you know, the <clears throat> downtown is, you know, the Davies Hall, and you hear the orchestra play, the opera house, all these things that, yeah, so new to me. It's it's pretty awesome. It's an amazing place. Yeah, and were you checking out a lot of live music? Oh yeah, in clubs and all. Over? Yeah, as, yeah. I mean, the ones I could get into, I felt like a lot of them are you know twenty one and over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, I met. Um, there's a funny, kind of funny story. I met Tom Welsh, who was was um, at that point was kind of the uh, managing New Albion Records, who uh-huh. put, released my first album, and he i was uh trying to get into a show at i don't know if it's slims or one of the one of the rock clubs there bottom of the hill or something yes i wasn't bottom. it's one of the i think down on south market one of those and he he was going to the same show and he he saw me kind of like sitting outside looking dejected and it was like raining and you know i i couldn't get they they didn't accept my fake id you know uh-huh. and he, he was like oh and he's like, he was gonna go to the show and he said hey you know i'll tell you what we'll just grab some beers and we'll go to my house and listen to music <laughs> wait did you know you knew him already i think i had seen him you know uh-huh. I, yeah we'd we'd like but i didn't know him well and that was like the first time we hang out so, so you guys just grabbed some beer and went yeah, back and it was yeah like, <laughs> yeah it was great you know it's a great do, record collection yeah. yeah so do you remember what show you were trying to get into i 
don't you know it was it was some punk show i don't yeah i don't even remember to tell you the truth this was yeah my memory doesn't go back that far in detail so san francisco this would have been what like the mid 90s late 90s? yeah exactly yeah. yeah like 95 96 i feel like there was like a lot of really cool underground bands in san francisco yeah yeah there was a lot there was a lot happening i wasn't you know and i mean i should have been going to more of it but i was i was like extremely busy with with school i was pretty motivated yeah, yeah, yeah. i'd never been really motivated by school before so <laughs> you know i i didn't really like it and then, I, like, I hated it and uh and especially because i had you know i started like first year harmony class i couldn't read bass clef i could barely read music at all yeah and was you know guitarists are terrible readers as everyone knows at least what? classical guitarists generally Wait, classical guitars well because you know they they're, they're transposing and right. they're it's um as soloists you know as, as guitar soloists you to kind of like learn things really slowly and you don't have the experience of sitting down and like sight reading with people very often at least back then that right. wasn't that wasn't common so um i mean there's that joke how do you get a guitar player to stop playing yeah fit music in front of them. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not even a joke it wasn't a joke in my case that's for sure would have worked really well but i mean reading music and sight reading music are you know not yeah exactly the same thing i mean they are but sight reading is something that you will only do if you practice it yeah every day for a really long time yeah 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 which i don't <laughs> how's, your, how's your sight reading now oh it's better than it was then yeah but, but you're not gonna ask me to sight read something right <laughs> no, no 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 i i mean i i can barely read music i can write it but i can barely read it huh it scares the shit out of me yeah i didn't know that huh. yeah um so you worked on your sight reading i did and i well what i was actually what i was gonna say is that i you know having to to take a harmony class like you know entrance harmony class i it was so hard just like looking at grand staff and and making any sense of it and playing i couldn't play piano all that stuff mm-hmm. there was just a huge learning curve mm-hmm. and my harmony teacher told me that i was going to fail this class he's like really? you know you're he's like you're getting like a barely a d like at best and and so i told him well what you know how what should i do and he goes well just you're just gonna have to spend like three or four hours a night on your harmony homework and i was like oh, just the last thing i wanted to do i wanted to be playing and, but but i did and, and, what, I, and what do those exercises look like for three to four hours a night <laughs> they, they didn't look that good for a long time i mean they look they you know it was a it was a slow improvement process for me but but i ended up getting really into it at some point and and um ended up actually being his ta and like his graduate his graduate assistant uh, yeah yeah years you know a few years later and and I guess that's when I first started actually writing music. You know, it was right. like was having to, you know, go through these. You know, these but he did tell you like, "Hey, man, don't quit your day job." He, <laughs> he he stayed encouraging even when. Oh yeah, he was he was super encouraging. He he. Um, I mean, there are you know, I was. I, it's not that I wasn't interested in it. It was just really hard for me. Yeah. I just didn't. You know, it's like it was just figuring out, just being able to make sense of the. The lines on the staff, you know, the notes on the staff. Yeah, like, it was it was really challenging for me at first. So it was slow going, but yeah. And but did, were you at this time establishing musical relationships with people that you were meeting? Yeah, I guess so. Although I don't, um, I don't really keep in touch with that many people that I was in school with. Mm-hmm. Everyone said that I was, you know, people always say, you know, these relationships that you form in school are going to be, 
you know, yeah. so important for the rest of your life. And that, um, that was kind of true with my teachers, uh, more than the students. I mean, there are some students that I've kept sort of in touch with, but, yeah. but I, for some reason that seems like much more of a thing here in New York. Like I feel like a lot of the kids that went to school together, they've uh, formed projects uh-huh. in, in school and they keep those relationships going. Yeah, it's weird. There's like lots of little <clears throat> like cliques and mafias around yeah. New York of like Mills people, NEC people, Wesleyan people, right. uh, Oberlin people. Right. Um, which is cool, you know, like. Yeah, it's, gangs. Yeah. Conservatory gangs. I have to say, I, consistently, <laughs> I have found that the strangest people come from Oberlin College. Oh, yeah? Yeah. It's cause it's in like a out, great way. Out in the out in the middle of nowhere. Something's going on there. They, they 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 turn out some really unique yeah musicians. Yeah. Like some I, yeah, some really amazing ones. Yeah. Yeah. Like I know some really like like I mean, yes, very high levels of musicianship, but also just like utterly bizarre and unique musical ideas. Yeah. And unusual, you know, like Peter Evans is like the yeah. perfect example. Yeah. Like yeah, yeah. I don't know how you make something like that. Yeah, there's something to it. So you didn't really, you didn't take those relationships. <clears throat> they just didn't. Yeah, they just didn't really stick. Everybody kind of graduated and went their own ways. Yeah. And <clears throat> who was so? Who were the people in San Francisco that you did begin to? Well, when I was a grad student, my teacher Dushan Bogdanovich, um, he was so he's a composer and great improviser on the guitar, and um, you know we he was kind enough to kind of work with me on on composition and improvisation in addition to all the the requisite stuff and Mm -hmm. he had a a guitar trio back then and and um actually one of the members died in the group oh and they were going to just you know disband and call it quits and then he he and i were kind of improvising together and and a lot in the lessons and he said oh why don't you have a rehearsal with us and just see how it goes and and it was really fun and so i ended up joining that group and playing with them yeah for a while so that was kind of the one of the first things that i became involved with and then i was in another guitar larger guitar ensemble with my other teacher david tannenbaum for four or five years and so it was kind of like with my teachers i I started playing more and and more and that that was you know more along the lines of what i was doing in terms of forging relationships and and as you uh were wrapping up your time at the conservatory what did you uh, envision for yourself what did you uh i was just kind of trying to pay my bills and (laughs) i mean by playing like restaurant gigs and shit yeah yeah i mean since i well since i was in high school since i was about mm, 13 i think i started playing in cafes and restaurants yeah and so i just kept doing that when i was in in going to music school and you know there's this program where you could it was i think they you know, they paid you like, you know, 35 bucks an hour or something, you know, and it was like, it wasn't, it was great. Yeah. yeah. It was like, you know, if you got a two or three hour gig, you were, you know, cool. th- at that time, of course, now I wouldn't buy Jack right. in San Francisco, but <laughs> you one way on the bar. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I was, I was thrilled about it and, and I didn't have to have a, another job. Right. It was enough that I could do Earning as, money as many of those gigs. I could, yeah. I was talking about this recently with someone because you know, there, there. It seems like there are 
people are of kind of two different schools of thought on this. And, mm-hmm. you know, some people say, oh, I can't, I can never play music that isn't completely 100% the kind of music that I want to play or make. And so if I'm going to, you know, if I'm going to, if I'm not making enough money with the music, I'm going to take a job, like a day job and, mm-hmm. and make money from other means. And then there are people that like, I only want to do me. I never want to have another job. Yeah. Whether that means, you know, busking or, or like, you know, playing weddings or parties right. or whatever, like. So I always did the latter. I always just, you know, played. I tried to 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 get something from it, you know, whether even if it was like, oh, I don't really like this music, but I, you know, need to I, take I mean, this how gig. How bad could know? it be? I, like, what, like, what's the material you're playing? You're playing like like gypsy jazz or something. <laughs> I haven't done a whole lot of that actually, no? but oddly enough, as a nylon string player, you'd think otherwise. But no, just you know, like, um, stylistically, maybe maybe you don't want to be, you know playing music that's all like you know one and four and five chords maybe you want to be playing playing something a little more harmonically sure, more interesting or maybe you know and sometimes you know sometimes there's stuff that people want to produce stuff that's a little more commercial and like right. just, you try to leave your name off it if you can or you know there's yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. things like that and for me it was always like i, I just I, if there was something i could find in it that was challenging right. or or kind of enriching in some way i was like okay i can i can do this you know i think like there's a lot to be said for learning the art of pleasing an audience yeah. like if you if you're playing in a restaurant and there is a group of people of uh, diners in the restaurant who like stop for a minute they check out what you're doing and like they're into it like that to me is a win yeah, like you—that's that, a real skill. A lot of surprisingly, there's a lot of musicians, like performing musicians, yeah. who like don't know how they to please, get, yeah. to, to like make an enjoyable experience for an audience. Yeah, yeah, it's funny because that's that's the whole reason why we're there, you know. Seemingly, right? Otherwise, we'd just be at home, right? Yeah, it seems that way. Playing at home, like, but. like you want um, to communicate something to a listener that uh, enriches their life somehow, yeah. <laughs> even if it's yeah. like. 15 minutes while they eat like a steak free yeah <laughs> yeah it's about communication i think yeah. yeah it's really did you i mean but also i don't know man i i i can never play a restaurant gig because i don't think there's any way for me to make that an enjoyable experience for for the people that are there <laughs> you know it depends on who's eating you know some people might like hear could some you, pretty avant-garde shit with their steak free you know, could you know? imagine a restaurant that was sort of like based around that like Oh, we don't sure. serve we don't serve food that you're gonna like, and like the people that work here are really rude, and we play really abrasive music. <laughs> yeah, you're not gonna like our food, but you're really not gonna like our music. Well, it's, it's <laughs> you're, oh, you're, no, you're gonna fucking hate it. Um, I know a chef. He's definitely one of the best chefs in the United States. He's about forty years old, and he does this thing at his restaurant. I'm not gonna say his name, but he does this thing where he will add things to the menu that. <clears throat> in any restaurant like you put them there so that everyone could enjoy them like why is a burger on a restaurant menu because it it needs there needs to be at least one thing that any schmuck off the street can say oh yeah i'll get the burger but when he does these things he puts a burger on the menu he puts prosecco on the menu he makes the burger in such a way that there's no way the average person would enjoy it (laughs) the prosecco that he serves is unlike any prosecco anyone's ever had and it's like there's like this like fuck you to it yeah it, it's and i'm trying to wrap my head around it and i'm wondering if like like as musicians like how often we do that same thing oh yeah like yeah 
Yeah, you think you know what this is, but you're not yeah. smart enough to like it. Right. <laughs> right. Well, there's, yeah, there's there's often a little bit of trickery, too. With, yeah. You know, the way things are delivered. And, and, some, and that's not necessarily a, a bad thing sometimes. Sometimes you have to fool people into thinking they're getting one thing. And, you know. Right. Like, and then, you know, maybe it's you could say it's a little bit about seduction in that sense. Like, mm-hmm. where people go to a performance expecting one thing or another like along something along some line certain lines and then <clears throat> you know you give them a little bit of that but then you sneak something else in the back door sure. you know, you, yeah which is what you really want to be doing yeah, yeah, yeah. so w- were you at this time when did you start like playing your own gigs uh well yeah right around i mean basically when i was going to music school i started you know play, i was like you know playing degree recitals and things like that and right. then and then there you know there's this weird kind of process where you you realize okay you go from playing one or two of these a year degree recitals a year you know and you yeah. work your ass off work your ass off and then like if it doesn't go well which it invariably doesn't go as well as you want it to <laughs> right. you know and then then what then, then what? you're then you're left like with this kind of depression post recital yeah. depression oh, what do i do now you know like it'd be great if i could do that 50 more times and actually nail it you know yeah. and so <clears throat> so i just started kind of trying to create as many opportunities as i could to you do put that. together a group yeah i put together some some uh well just some at first it was just like solo performance opportunities and then um, but then, as I said, I was playing with these other groups, and then so we started trying to do more and more of that. And, yeah. And I, it was around that time, like right after school, I kind of realized that not only are there, it's just really hard to make things happen, like solo performances, and you know, unless you have like some huge solo career with a manager and everything, it's just uh-huh. it's just hard to make that work. So. Yeah. Um, and. How, how is it hard? Also, well, it. The the main thing about it is I just I just wasn't really inspired to do it. Yeah, like, oh. you know, I did a few of these little solo tours that I that took me forever to organize, mm-hmm. and you know, just milking all the connections I had, or whatever, and you know, maybe bounce around Europe for a few weeks and make a few bucks, and then I was like, God, that was so much work, and traveling by yourself isn't as much fun, you know? It's like yeah, it, it can get pretty lonely out yeah, there. Yeah, so, uh, and it's you know. There's just there isn't a lot of there's no give and take in terms of you know bouncing ideas off of people and right. and, and you're, you're responsible for all of the inspiration you're going to get on the stage except mm-hmm. for whatever the audience is giving back to you so right so when you're working with other people you know and these, I was playing with these groups I was like ah oh, so much easier you know you you have this interaction on stage whether it's musical or verbal or whatever you can you know you right. can roll with that you can make something from that and and it seems like for me there was a lot more momentum in that in that regard so i put my energies increasingly towards playing with other people yeah 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 did you encounter fred frith at all while you were out there no not not really i mean i heard him play a few times Mm -hmm. but we didn't really meet in fact we we played our first show together uh just months ago here at the stone that was oh yeah yeah when was that what was the show december i think um just a duo guitar show just two guitars how was it 
It was really fun. He's pretty good at guitar. He's pretty good at guitar. He's pretty good at guitar, <laughs> and he's pretty good at pedals too. He's yeah, and and objects and know, objects a lot of and improvising. He told yeah. me I, I thought I was thinking of him just now because I, he mentioned to me that when he's on the tour, when he's on tour, um, or playing, you know, I, I got the Stone several nights in a row. Yeah, he configures his pedals differently every night. He'll never play the same pedal configuration, so as to present a challenge, a new challenge yeah. to himself every night. Yeah. And he, I, I, we, he told me that because I was asking him, like, how do you, you know, when you're doing these like solo tours, like, how do you not just want to kill yourself after like four of yeah, four yeah, shows yeah. in a row? Yeah. And that was one of his response. That was like huh. a thing he came up with. Yeah, that's a great idea. It I is a great idea. More. I should do more of that. Well, you don't. <laughs> I, I don't. So, so during so this time that you're in San Francisco, you're focusing on the nylon string guitar. Yeah. Electric guitar has always been like your. I st- I didn't play electric guitar for years. I I had one and then I kind of just stopped playing it, and so I yeah from the time I was maybe mm, like sixteen seventeen uh-huh. until maybe just like ten years ago nine years ago I didn't play any electric guitar at all. So no I I didn't even have one. It it um. <sighs> Yeah, it came back kind of recently, like like just maybe a year or two before I moved to New York, I started playing electric yeah? again. What brought you back to it? Uh, you know, oddly enough, it was because I was <laughs> I was playing in this funny yeah, group with some friends of mine in San uh-huh. Francisco. It was kind of just like a fun band, you know, like silly tunes and playing in bars and stuff. And they asked me to sit in at this bar gig and I was like, yeah, that sounds like fun. And I was like, actually, I don't have a have an electric guitar <laughs> so, so i went and bought one for that gig for and the then, gig. yeah for the gig which is like a strat or something yeah i just bought a strat i think yeah and, and then you know we had a bunch of other gigs and then I, and then i got uh i got called to do some kind of new music guitar things but i you know it's funny because i was i was definitely mostly interested in contemporary music for for years and years but i was doing it on a classical guitar which is which you know now I know <laughs> is not you know not what the lion's share of contemporary music is written for. It's, right. you know, it's definitely electric guitar is the, is the primary instrument in that regard. And yeah, I mean, in terms of avant-garde music, and so I, yeah, I, I basically I, I guess I, I missed out on a lot of stuff. But but then you know then I came to New York and I I'm glad I had an electric because I you know I met Dither and they uh-huh. asked me to play with them and so. I, that's been great. I've been working with them. A yeah, lot yeah, but and... so, but the electric guitar is um. Well, or, or, when did when when did your interest towards contemporary music begin to when when did that start happening? Contemporary music. Yeah. Well, I think it was kind of always there. I mean, it depends on what you'd call contemporary music. I, I mean, mean, did you call up the old man and say, "Hey, I'm ready to check out some shit now"? Or? Yeah, no, I mean, I when I was well, it really started when I was. Um, I think when I started, when I met David Tannenbaum, he was my yeah. teacher at conservatory because he, that was what he was most interested in was contemporary music and, you know, guitar related things that I could play things, you know, yeah. pieces with guitar included in them and, or, you know, there's, there was a hand, there was quite a bit of music written for, for guitar too, contemporary mm-hmm. music, but, but it, but it would be less what we'd think of as contemporary, you know, sure. It, um, because there's so you know the, the, the expressive possibilities of the electric guitar are so much more extreme and obvious. You yeah, know? totally. So, so I yeah, <clears throat> a lot of that music I, I've just never played, and which right. is fine. I mean, I I as a composer, I don't 
mostly write for electric and mostly right. write for classical and other instruments. I, I honestly, man, I, I don't know how people play more than one instrument. <laughs> like, there's so much... Like you could you could spend your entire life with one instrument and never really get the whole thing. Yeah. So when I see people that play like two, three, four instruments, yeah, I just I I don't know where they get the time or like the mental yeah. space. Yeah, and yeah, I, th- I mean I, I think either. electric guitar and classical guitar are like two yeah, very different instruments. They are, but they're sa- I mean I'm I'm playing a lot. I'm now I've like started to collect instruments i have have like a banjo and a ukulele and a steel string and a bass and you know all these and i and i like playing them all i like playing them all but i yeah like you say i can't devote that much time to to each one but but it's still like i feel like what what i can learn from the banjo really helps my classical playing you know for example that's just one example but um yeah, there. I, I but I don't outside of guitar related instruments. I'm not venturing. I'm like, yeah, maybe next lifetime that right. could happen. But. <laughs> and, and when did you and your dad start forming a musical relationship? Um, about twenty years ago, more or less. It's a while now. Yeah, it was his instigation. Kind of both of ours. I, I, well, I, I remember he had a he had a band and or you know various bands over the years that he was working with and I remember kind of realizing at some point that I I was very familiar with a lot of that music because I just heard it for for years and years and and so just you know translating that into figuring out how all those melodies and harmonies happened on the fretboard was just the next step you know that I needed to make to to get to actually play the music and right. and he I think how it started was that he was working with a, one of his bands and I was just kind of hanging out at home uh I I was home from school to visit and and they had a concert that weekend or something and I and I I was just kind of sitting on the steps and I was like oh yeah I, I think I kind of I kind of know this tune and I was just you know started he went to, down to cook dinner or something and I went sat in you know playing these guys were kind of trying to learn some complicated pattern in 19 or something and I was right. like oh, yeah, no, I think it goes like this and like you know kind of working with them and yeah and then yeah and then I just kind of stayed in the room and kept playing he's like oh you should you know why don't you sit in with us on the show and and so that was the first time I had actually played with him and then um and then over the years we were we were playing and and configurations with larger you know like quartet Mm-hmm. Uh, formation with other people and then eventually now it's just just the two of us and so it's a you know of course that's a, a different thing it's yeah uh and we're still f- kind of figuring it out honestly it's um e- every time we play together it changes a little bit like what exactly that that beast is that you know guitar and piano is kind of a funny it's a weird combination, combination. yeah it's there's not like i can't really think of like famous guitar piano yeah. duos to look to and, yeah you know yeah <laughs> yeah um i yeah i think for me i i can say it's definitely that we're, we're both kind of still figuring out how to play with each other it's always a, it's a process like anything you know yeah kind of is it a lot of improvising yeah yeah lots free lots. improvisation well uh, some sometimes but most of it is not free you know as in there are structures there are predetermined structures right. forms with 
melodies and rhythms and harmonies and and but for example there could be like a piece with you know 15 parts and maybe we'll only play like 10 of those parts or uh-huh. five of those parts and the order in which they happen is is unpredictable you know right something like that where there are these these structures that that are very loose and and different every time we yeah. work with them so it's fun and do you does it feel particularly meaningful to be playing music with your father oh yeah 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 it feels great yeah, yeah. we have a good time you know we get to travel around and yeah play music together and and Fun. now that you know you've been doing you know you you're you've been playing music professionally for a number of years do you see your father differently than you did growing up uh well i guess i guess so i mean i guess you know the way in which we see people like changes yeah kind of gradually over the years and i i get to well and playing with him i and you know, the more we play together, the more time we spend together, the more I kind of see, also touring together, the more I see how, like, the rest of the world maybe perceives his um, importance in the world uh-huh. and his, his contributions and, 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 but, you know, I don't know if that. No, no, I just, you know, <clears throat> I, I'm seeing, like, I, I was having, a, uh, I did an interview the other day, I was being interviewed, and I was you know, talking about, you know, uh, I, I never even thought about it until I kept hearing it come out of my mouth. And I was like, oh, I, originally I wanted to play the electric bass. So, you know, my mom got me an electric bass. And then about a year later, my mom got me a four track. And then when I was, you know, 17, my mom got me a clarinet. And I was just like, wait a second. Like, I give my mom a lot of shit. Like, I'm really hard on her. Yeah. And I'm only now, like, thinking back that, again, she was like a single mother who, yeah. like, miraculously was able to, like, make these yeah. things appear. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I certainly see her differently now. Yeah. Well, that's good. Yeah, or like my, you know, it's like I always, you know, it's one of these things where like you get to a certain age where you realize like, oh yeah, they had no idea what they were doing. Like, <laughs> that's not an insult. It was just like, no one knows what the fuck they're doing. Yeah. Thank God. <laughs> so wait, why did you move to New York? Uh, so I could be on this podcast. Uh, yeah, it's been, a, it took, it's taken a while. Yeah, it's, yeah. <laughs> Finally. My life has meaning. Well, yeah. I mean, we should probably just go jump in the river. <laughs> yeah. Right well, we're pretty close. Yeah. We're very close. <laughs> but wait, you came specifically for like like this community of... I, You know, I don't know, know really why I came. I just, I guess I found that every time I was here, you know, it was always, always for, for playing. I'd have a yeah. concert or two or whatever. And I just, I felt that I, the connections I made with people were very real and very strong and yeah. I, I really enjoyed the, the, the yeah the, the the relationships that were formed every time i was mm-hmm. here and and i just felt like there was so much happening here on a level that i wasn't experiencing right in uh, san francisco and and furthermore um i was doing enough traveling at that time to understand the weight of a of you know the ge- the geography and every time having to fly across the country no matter right you know if, if there are east coast shows or europe shows are just a, a lot more a lot more flying i've never I, st- I still don't can't really wrap my head around the fact that if you live in california england is like 12 hours away <laughs> like that's fucking crazy <laughs> yeah it's, that's a long it's too, flight it's too long yeah that's a long flight. I, I know people that live in california and tour regularly in yep. europe and i have no idea how they 
Yeah. How they do that. It's not fun. I can, I mean, I can't tell you how happy I was. I was like, I mean, I, the first time I flew to Europe from here, I just couldn't believe how quickly the flight was over. <laughs> That's it? What? what we're, it's like six hours. Right. We're there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like not far. Yeah. You you know, you get your your delicious airplane food and you- You don't eat that. You fall food. asleep and you wake up and you're almost there. Uh, it, I try not to. Yeah, you can't eat that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't. I mean, I'll I'll eat like um, like the pretzels or like oh, yeah. on a JetBlue flight they give you those like hippie chips, like the blue. Oh, the Terra Blue potato yeah. chips. Yeah, you know, I'll eat that. Yeah. but like hot prepared foods. No, you you got you got you got to bring something on the plane. Yeah, I, I I usually do. Yeah, I don't touch that shit. That's really. If bad. I do eat it, it's out of sheer boredom. Boredom. <laughs> yeah. I I mean I don't fucking I don't fly that often like a handful of times a year like, uh-huh. i'm always just like you know i have these friends out there you know flying every week and it's just like i i do it a handful of times a year and i want to blow my brains out <laughs> yeah it's the worst yeah i don't actually mind it so much i think i just after doing it enough you you get into some sort of rhythm and you have your your little rituals and right but you can go to the airport it. and not want to kill everyone usually yeah <laughs> there are times when <laughs> i feel a little homicidal but you know <laughs> try to push it down <laughs> right 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 right. <laughs> yeah uh, yeah no i think i think if you it's like anything if you do it enough it's it's like your job and there's things about your job that you that don't love and things kind of dread right and, but yeah. but I, I think it's about i think it's about passing the time you know yeah i don't love being in airports necessarily but you know say if you take the the subway every day if you have if you have a commute and you have to take the train for an hour each way if you didn't have something to do, if you didn't have a book to read or whatever, or like right. everyone else who has their face buried in their phone, you know, yeah, you'd, you'd probably go a little crazy. Or or it'd just be like it used to be and people would talk to each other for better or for worse, you know? Dude. <sighs> <laughs> didn't people used to talk to each other? I don't know. I remember, I so clearly remember this uh, George Carlin doing this joke where he was making fun of people who wore Walkmans. Oh, yeah. about you know these people like you know they're, they're better than the rest of us you know they don't yeah. want to be involved in conversation and stuff like that and like that kind of used to be a thing like if you saw someone with headphones yeah you'd be like what's that about you know too good, too so good I to guess chat. I don't know man I've always been a headphone guy ah always I, I've never been able to wear headphones in public except for on the if I'm on like a flight or a, like right. a train like a long trip it's fine but like being and I've kind of kind of grown to to understand the virtue of the the headphones on the on the subway too. But like running or and and like walking around in public, I I get totally paranoid if I have headphones right. You on. feel I you just, feel like one of your senses has been yeah removed. Yeah, I just a, feel a vulnerable. crucial one. Yeah. yeah, yeah, kind of a crucial one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I see. I actually saw it happen one time where like. This thing of like people walking around like with shit blasting into their ears yeah. and they're staring at their phones. They literally, yeah, they're like no gazelles yeah. out there walking around. And I saw this fool get like hand, like taken care of. Like I was watching him. Oh, he got hit by a car. No, he got hit by like a group of people. Like he got jumped and oh. robbed because he literally walked through like if a it group is, a group yeah. of dudes who like, you know, if you saw them, you like, would probably duh. go to the other side of the yeah. street. Like they yeah, didn't look yeah. like very nice people. Yeah. And this guy, he just like kind of bu- he was on his, you know, he's staring at his thing, bumped right into him. Yeah. 
walked right into the lion's den. <laughs> they relieved him of his phone that was distracting him. I, I, I relieved myself of the I made no effort to help this guy at all. I, I, I ran his head. Buddy, you had it coming. I kind of, yeah, you know? Yeah. Like, I have panicked. He was also a decoy, so you didn't get jumped. Yeah. I, I registered that. That wasn't lost on me. <laughs> but did you, I mean, I, if I leave my house without my headphones, like, I get, I'm like, oh, fuck, you know, like, I get nervous. Like, oh, yeah. I, I listen mm. to that shit all the time. Yeah, I've never been much of a headphone guy. Yeah. It, headphones are like, you know, the big, the big earmuff headphones are, that's like a, a late night music activity for me yeah. more than anything. Yeah. That's, Is that when you listen to shit? Yeah. Usually it's late at night. It's fine. Because it's quiet, you know, and I'm done working, and I, you know, I, lo- I love listening to music in headphones. Yeah. And there's so much, there's so much music that, that I think doesn't really make sense any other way. You know, there's right. a lot of music that, even on a nice system, is there's just too much. In New York City, there's too much ambient noise. Yeah, you, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, unless you're in like a, a listening environment, you know really quiet space right <clears throat> what, what have you been listening to lately that's kind of you know uh well a couple of things there's this one there's this record that i i bought of um this uh, una, i don't know how to pronounce her name properly una livlid i think is how you uh-huh. pronounce it. she's a norwegian singer okay folk singer um she she recorded this incredible album uh in a space outside of Oslo, the space in and of itself is a whole nother story, but um, it's it's incredibly reverberant. Yeah, it's it's like a mausoleum, right? And and so this space, it's this big kind of long, you know, don't like art arch dome uh, ceiling, and and the the reverb. I mean, the 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 reverberation is like I don't know how many seconds, probably twenty or something. It's Jesus really Christ. really long, and. So essentially what happens is she's singing these melodies and whatever whatever the notes of the melody are comprise the chord that you're left hearing after yeah. she finishes the phrase. And it's it's just so beautiful. And it's, it's just it, voice. It's just solo voice in this space. A new this is like a new record. Um I don't I don't know how new it is. I was out there. In, I was actually in this space. I, I went there and, and you made music there. I didn't make any music there. I'd love to do it, but yeah, um, I was just there as a tourist. It's this um, this this space where it's very dark inside. They only have enough light for you to to see once your eyes adjust. Huh. They have these little like little kind of like um, electronic candles like dispersed throughout the space, just enough so that once your eyes adjust after you walk in and close the door, you can see the art which is all over the walls oh, and ceiling, shit. which is essentially like an orgy. The whole thing is like a fresco is an orgy. What? Yeah. And how old is it's this It's awesome. Thing? A lot of them are like, like they're like skeleton, like, like skeletal orgies. That sounds amazing. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah. That's a vibe. It's a, it's a, yeah, it's an amazing vibe. Um, and it's, let's see, I think it's, I'm not sure how old it is. I think it was, I think a lot of it, I seem to remember there was like looting of the Nazis and, you know, I think it's like maybe 40s or something. Uh-huh. Um, I'm totally blanking on the, the, the artist's name and his, but he's the, his brother was the famous sculptor and, you know, the, there's this big park in Oslo full of these, these um, figures who uh-huh. are like, 
you know, caressing each other, and there's a lot of naked figures and beautiful. I'm, t- I'm totally blanking on the on the name of this, yeah, this yeah, yeah. sculptor, but it's his brother who was lesser known, and okay. I guess went a little nuts and and um, built his essentially his own mausoleum. It was going to be his art studio, and then he changed it into his own. So That's amazing, mausoleum. and it's it's a it's an incredible space. Just being there is is really remarkable, and. So this was recorded in this space, and so the the, the singing, her voice is, is angelic, and yeah. every phrase she sings leaves you with, she leaves a lot of space in between, so you hear these chords fading out from the melodies. It's really, it's really, it's really remarkable. Um, so I've been listening to that, and the other thing I've been really into is this album by a um, Brazilian singer juliana perdigao and i i don't know what any of this shit is oh yeah well i i didn't either yeah <laughs> you know i only really discover things when i travel because i don't i'm not the kind of person that like seeks out music i haven't heard i just don't okay. do that but um yeah this i the last night i was in brazil i was just on a tour in south america and the last night there i heard this concert of this this band that was totally slamming i mean like highest level yeah playing just fantastic playing and and uh took a cd she gave me it actually gave me a cd the singer and and it's a it's a wonderful album uh i'll i'll write it yeah yeah Yeah. um and and it's you know it's like it's kind of like uh not it's not like traditional brazilian music but the music come you can hear that it's very much rooted in the music of brazil it's but it's a very super high energy rock Mm. band and Mm. with really fantastic arrangements full full of surprises like you think you're like no it's happening and then Mm -hmm. it'll be like on a dime they'll change into something else just it's really really uh great album called i think album is called O, like O with an accent on it yeah so how's it been playing with julian lodge oh it's been great yeah He's pretty good at guitar too. He's kind of good at guitar. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. you noticed that. <laughs> I noticed he sounds yeah. he, he sounds nice on the guitar. <laughs> I listened to that record that you guys made with Zorn. Uh, oh, the Midsummer Moon yeah, album. Yeah, beautiful. Oh, thanks. It's really fucking beautiful. Yeah, it's that's. I mean, did you know music, Julian huh? before Zorn, or did he kind of hook that up? Um, I knew of him, but I yeah. hadn't met him. And yeah, Zorn connected us um, first with the Bagatelles project. Uh-huh. That was the first thing we did together. And then the Midsummer Moons came after, right? And now we're we just recorded Masada as well, so yeah, that'll be coming out. That's the book three stuff. Yes, and just the two of you on guitars. Yeah, that's a nice hookup, man. It's a great thing, you know. I really enjoy the sound of nylon and steel strings together. It's a it's not it's not super common. I was about to say, or yeah. ask, is there like a a famous duo of it? No, I mean not nothing that immediately comes to mind i mean that you know no i don't think not not like super famous yeah um yeah like classical guitarists tend to play with other classical guitarists and and steel string players tend to play in other groups you know groups of other instruments and but it's a it's a really it's a really nice sound they really complement each other well yeah it's really lush it's really yeah it's just like it's awesome yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm glad you like that album. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fun record. All right, man. Well, yeah. it's been nice, man. Thank you for talking. Hey, my pleasure. Jan. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. All right, that was Gian Riley. Did you guys enjoy that? Gian is a great dude. 
Really, really wonderful guy. Amazing musician and just, uh, you know, a special person that you should check out if you're not already familiar with him. Go to GianRiley.com. Uh, actually, that record that we were just talking about, Midsummer Moons, it's a Zorn record. It's absolutely gorgeous. Um, and you should check it out. Go to Zodic.com to check that out. Go to the 5049 website, uh, rate, review the show on iTunes if you're so inclined, and, uh, you know, enjoy your week. I, ho- I hope you guys are all doing well, and we'll talk to you next week. All right. Adios. <laughs>